The Influencer's Edge is brought to you by the Invisible Influence Series. If you're ready to massively increase your sales by leveraging the power of subconscious persuasion, then make sure you text the word COMPEL to 411-321. That's COMPEL to 411-321. And if you're outside of the United States, then use WhatsApp and text the word COMPEL to 1-909-741-1321. Make sure you put in your best email address because that's how we'll deliver the goodies. Welcome to the Influencer's Edge. This is the place where you come to get the latest breakthroughs, cutting-edge insights, tools, and techniques to leapfrog over the pack in sales, persuasion, and influence. Be sure you visit our website at www.theinfluencersedge.com. And while you're there, Subscribe to us via your favorite network. Now sit back, tune in, and enjoy today's episode. All right, welcome back to the Influencer's Edge. As you can see, we're having some technical difficulties. I don't have my usual beautiful green screen. I'm having to use the built-in mic, so the sound quality is not going to be the usual excellent. But we have with us an amazing guest who's going to help me make up for the lack of technical uh, perfection. We have Doug Brown today. Doug, I'm going to read a little bit of your biography. And I did have a conversation with you prior to going on the air where I enticed and warned and, I don't know, put you off a bit by telling you that this is a different kind of interview where we're going to delve into your psychology as well as what you have to share with our audience. So are you ready? I'm ready, Paul. Let's go, brother. Okay. (laughs) So Doug C. Brown is a CEO of CEO Sales Strategies and a Sales Revenue and Profit Growth Expert. Let's talk right there. What is the difference between growing your revenue and growing your profit? Sure. Yeah. A lot of companies, uh, they think it's synonymous and uh, sometimes not. So it depends on the business uh, objective, right? So for some companies growing revenue because they want a position to, uh, I don't know, they have some positioning in the market, for example, and they just want to get their revenue as fast as possible. Others are, you know, positioning for profit. So, uh, you know, maybe they want to sell their company, for example. Well, they're looking for the uh, multiple. So, you know, when people look at, say, EBITDA and they're looking at the, uh, the, the earnings of the company, they, they will tend to push forth a higher multiple with a higher profit. So it just depends on, the, uh, on the, the reason why the entrepreneur wants to do it. Most people want to increase their revenue and their profit. So, i.e., I want to increase my top line and my bottom line, and I want to take more home or do some, something different with the profit side of the business. I would I would think that would be the case, but I wanted to pause because not, not everybody knows that. So you are the creator of the top 1% Academy where you train on how to sell the buyers, whether they be CEOs, business owners, or entrepreneurs, and how to be in the top 1% of sales earners. Let's pause right there because in order, uh, some people say those who can't do teach. I find it the opposite. Those who can do feel compelled to teach and share what they know how to do. So I want to know your journey. How did Doug Brown become one of the top 
1% and what were your biggest bumps along the way? So tell us your journey, but also I want to know your biggest bumps and setbacks, your mess on your way to your success. Okay, so this will the, the bumps will take probably longer than we have all for all this. Right. <laughs> the big one, the biggest one that slapped you in your head. Yeah, I mean, be, the, and the reason I say that, Paul, is a lot of people are, are like, okay, well, you know, how long did it take you to get to be here, and how many bumps go along the way, which is perfect. But there's so many bumps right, in life when when people are climbing up. Somebody once told me the higher the levels, the bigger the devils. And I didn't like that statement, but I found it to kind of be true. Um, so my journey really started when I was three and a half years old. I started working for my dad. Uh, I was sweeping floors for 25 cents a week. And by the age of five and a half, he had an electric machinery repair company. They pushed us out in front of the clientele and they said, go talk to people and go sell some stuff. And so I had, <laughs> I had my, you know, it was a family business. It was 14 of us. My grandparents were there, my dad and everybody. And so they would help me. You know. There were 14 of you. Yeah. So between brothers, uh, cousins, uh, okay. grandparents and, All right. and, uh, and, and a few, few friends, right. Um, there were 14 uh, people in that company and uh, it was a great experience. And what I remember was I, I would sell sometimes some parts. So people would be asking questions and we'd pay, you know, let's say $5 for a part. We'd sell it for 10. And so, you know, I'd sold 10 of those in a day. I get $50 in, in, in that. And, and I remember I was making 50 cents an hour and my little brain went, wait a minute, I'm making $4, but we just made $50, right? On, on these parts alone. And so that was the first kind of sense of uh, creating leverage in the process. So my journey was, I was one of those crazy kids who didn't know what he wanted to do. Um, but I just knew I loved people. I loved talking to people and helping people, whether they had an opportunity or a problem or something, we would just figure it out. And then eventually people started paying me for, for doing that. Uh, and we had products and services and we would sell those, right? And so we would get that exchange for value. That's how it kind of all started. Uh, and then eventually I went into the military and I got out of the military and I was trying Thank to figure you, out, okay. Sir. Thank yeah, you. I was in the, I was in the army. Thank you. <laughs> and, um, and, uh, you know, cause that's what, that's what you did in my family. Uh, you know, most of the, most of the family was in the military and, you know, um, we were proud to be, you know, an American, uh, at that point in our lives. And I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I did know. I wanted to do something to help people. And I figured I'd go in the medical field or just something to help people. Right. And, um, and, you know, college was still expensive back then, not as crazy it is today, but it was still expensive. So I was able to get the, you know, the veterans benefits of the, the college education. And so let me that. Pause. forgive me, forgive yeah. me. I, I uh, apologize. Um, it's an interesting narrative, but I want to take a jump. If, you, sure. if you'll forgive me. One percent, being able to be a one percent at anything is a pretty extraordinary thing. So what I want to know is how did you make a gap, the jump between being excellent to being one percent? Because you had to have had a mentor. No one gets to that level, or, or maybe you didn't have a mentor. You just no, no. I, I had tons of mentors, right? And that's like even in the military, I was you know the most distinguished soldier award of the battalion, right? It was the one percent award, if you will. Um, and 
but I had people that I talked to who knew what to do to be successful in the military talking to me. Um, so I would apply those principles. We, it's very rare. And I've never met anyone who's been in the top 1% of income earners ever who didn't have mentors. Uh, we, we, and, and that's one of the bumps in the journey, Paul, right? Because when you have mentors, sometimes they look at you and they go, why are you thinking like that? Like what is prompting you to have that thought process and they'll challenge you. Um, and sometimes as a, a driver of, of, in my capacity, uh, I would go do things. And then after I got something into it, they'd be like, why didn't you talk to me earlier? You know, and like, ah. I just, you know, <laughs> like I just lost a hundred thousand dollars or something, you know what I mean? And they're like, um, well, duh, of course you were going to lose that. Right. So there's mentors are, are, incredible to have for different reasons. One, they will shorten your learning curve because they've been there, done that, right? I mean, we're all familiar with, we had a parent um, and we all think, well, our parent never went through the stuff that we went through, you know, when we're growing up. But the reality is they, in many cases, went through the exact same thing we went through. So that's how they can spot a child going down the path and saying, no, 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 no. Um, so, in business, it's it's critical to be a one percent earner. It's it's an absolute. I would say I, I don't know anybody who who isn't there because we all get into a funk. We all make uh, decisions from our own bias, uh, and I mean buyer's bias. You know, we like to sell how we're like to uh, be. You know, uh, sold to, if you will. Very so all, good. All of these things have to change, uh, not radically, but just adjustments along the path. That's very true. We all wanted. We all want to sell the way we want to be sold to. Brilliant yeah. point. Thank you for the first truth bomb. I mean, a big truth bomb you just wrote. All right. Um, you demonstrate the tools, behaviors, and traits of the top 1% earners. Well, let's talk about those. First, let's talk about the traits and behaviors, and then we'll get to the tools. There's a distinction between trait and a something that you sometimes do. So what do you mean by a trait? And what are the traits of the 1% as opposed to the 10% or the 20%? So the traits are, so we know, a lot of people know the coin uh, top producer, right? Somebody's always constantly producing at the top. Um, little backstory that came from, uh, it was coined in like 1510. And what it meant was someone who can produce an article of, 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 of value at the top, which meant, you basically worked with the king, the queen, the oh. duchess, whatever, right? It was really selling to the royalty back then. Wow. And, you know, we could exchange value, right? So that kind of took root and you hear top producer all the time. There's another part that, you know, so top producer is part of it, but overachiever is the other part of it. So an overachiever is somebody who is like, you know, the, the top is never good enough. I'm going to exceed it. I'm going to constantly, let's think professional athlete, for example, or, you know, uh, ninth degree black belt or ballet dancer for the, you know, the metropolitan ballet, right. Or, or gymnastics, you know, it doesn't even have to be sports. It could be any discipline. It could be the, the concert pianist. It could be the person who excels in uh, physics or mathematics or something like that, right? That person who says status quo is never good enough and it will never be good enough for me, I always must achieve beyond that. 
So those two traits are what make up usually a 1% earner with two other traits, ego and empathy strength. So ego is- Yeah, ego. I'm sorry to step. Most people say ego is a bad thing. So let's dive in. Yeah, well, it is when it's arrogance, right? It is when it's misdirected. Like any any of our, our powers, when they're misdirected, could be used for good or for evil, right? It's really when it comes down to it. But ego is ego is really about confidence, self-confidence, self-worth, self-value. And so sometimes people think ego is negative because that person is displaying an outward bound uh, negative state of ego, right? They're like, and, and usually those are the people that are in fear. So those are the people trying to overcompensate for their lack of feeling self-worth. Very true. Right? So, but a healthy ego is that person who will stay in and help that person to the nth degree, even when times get a little bit tough or rough. They're, so for example, they're not the people who crush objections. The people who have negative self-ego those are the people that just want to come top down sellers, top down, like you said this, so I'm going to win and I'm just going to conquer this healthy ego. And when it's high, they will stand toe to toe, but they will do it in a very respective manner so that it's a win-win play. Can you unpack and, that? What does that look like? Uh, so, you know, somebody says, um, for example, you know, my price is too high, right? In a, in a, in a thing like that. Um, the negative ego will kick in and go, okay, I'm going to combat this. And they'll, they'll come back and they go, the price is too high. Did I just hear you say the price is too high, right? They'll come back in a way that's almost controversial or combative. And in a healthy ego, they would say something like, huh, I think I just heard something that I'd like to explore. You know, did I hear the price is too high for what you're looking for at this moment, right? So one sets a tone where it's like, all right, now we're going to get into a metaphorical competition, an arm lock, if you will, and who's going to have the highest ego strength to win this battle. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times that's a rapport breaking, but the healthy ego will build the rapport. The healthy ego will say, I'm going to help this person for our mutual benefit and when they walk out of this, they're going to feel better about themselves, me, the situation, and still get the resolution to their challenge. And it's, you know, so because an objection is always rooted in fear. Everything about an objection is a discomfort. Or a confusion, don't you think? Yeah, and confused? a confusion, if you think about confusion, you break it down to one more level. Usually confusion is, I'm afraid something's going to happen out of this confusion. So it could be a tiny little fear. It could be this magnified real fear. But somebody who has high ego strength in the, in the, in the positive capacity, that's the person that can stand up to hearing no, 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 and still persist. Got it. And, and not take it personally. So, you know, in, in the negative state, that's the opposite, right? They take it self personally. They just, oh my God, this person's attacking me. So I'm going to attack them back or whatever that might happen in that situation. Empathy, we also need a balance between empathy and ego, healthy. Because empathy is that desire to help somebody. It's that desire to take and really help them win. And we've got to be careful because if we have too much empathy, we will just continue to help that person. So if the person, if we know that person, for example, is they want to close, but they're afraid, we might let them not close the sale because what we want to do is be liked. 
And we want to have that bonding with that person, right? And so when we have a healthy amount of empathy, we're there to help that person, but we're also going to balance that with the ego strength, which will then say, okay, this is really for their benefit. We're going to close the sale for their benefit because we know we can help them. And of course, if we can't help them with their problem, their opportunity, or the innovation they're looking for, we should be disengaging. And one percenters will do that far more than other people because they're creating relationships all the time, Paul. I mean, that's just, you know, so they've got an ample supply of opportunities. So they'll disengage for the benefit of the win-win and maybe even say, look, I'm not the right person, but this person here is the right person for you. They're building a bridge long-term. So that's the trait. Behaviors are, they are leveraging on a consistent basis and building relationships for the long-term. Let's talk about, I want to sort of challenge pushback or, or maybe just make it an inquiry. It sounds to me that in order to have a healthy ego, you really have to have healed your wounds around needing to be in control and about. So it sounds, so out of the world, uh, see, I can absolutely buy that you can train skills and mindsets and to get people at 1%. But here's where I'm going to really challenge you. And I want you to help me build a bridge so I can understand how you do and what it is that you do. It sounds to me like you cannot be a 1% producer if you haven't healed those wounds and confronted your own fears that make you need to be in control. So do you do that kind of healing work with people or how do you do that? I so, don't understand that. I really don't, Doug. Yeah, so the, the answer to that question is you can get to the 1%, but you'll never stay there long-term without healing those, right? So you can get lucky and, and get to the 1%. Like, haha, I made this big sale. Boom, I'm at the 1% earner level at this point. But to be able to duplicate it over and over and over, you can't get lucky over and over and over. You've got to be able to have a sustainable process and system to do that. And part of that is exactly what you're saying, Paul. We have to go, we must resolve some of those inner challenges that we have. And yes, we, I, I help them do that. So oh, what wow. I've learned is, oh, question, sorry. I'm sorry, how do you do that? That to me is a skill you need to be paid a trillion dollars for, Doug, because a lot <laughs> of professional therapists can't do it. How do you do it? Well, anyone who wants to send in a trillion dollars will be happy to receive that and help All them. Right. With this stuff. <laughs> the, the, the reality is that most of these challenges that people have, these inner conflicts, uh, I call them inner blocks, the emotional locks that people have. A lot of them are learned in childhood. So they're learned through uh, rearing of, of the, you know, their, their rearing period of time. So, you know, it's usually mom, dad, preacher, teacher, brother, sister, friend, guidance counselor, whoever, right? Um, and so what we do is in the beginning, we as human beings, when we look at something, because we're dependent upon these people and we want their love, that's the key. We want to be loved by mom, by dad, or whoever our caretakers are. And we want to be able to rely on them that they have our best interest in heart. So when we come from an environment, even if it's positive, but the environment is promoting something that creates doubt within ourselves, we tend to buy into it for a survival mechanism when we're young. Yes. Okay. As we grow a little bit older, even when we're younger, we start saying, this doesn't work for me. It doesn't work for me any longer to hear this information, but I still comply to it. 
And so what we do over a period of time to can maintain that template of love is we comply to it. So we develop a habit. As we're developing that habit, we put it on habitual behavior. So then it becomes more like the old Pavlov's dog scenario where the, you know, the buzz of the bell rings, dog salivates and eats. And even if the dog's not hungry, they still eat, right? So human beings are trained the same way. And so eventually what we must do is we must learn that, okay, this happened. I don't want this to happen any longer. So now I must go on the path to actually correcting the habitual behavior and replacing it with another habit that makes sense. So I had a, a, a family member and she used to drink a quart of Pepsi or Coca-Cola a day. Oh my God. Right. And so I would go to her and go, you realize long-term, this is not going to work for your human body, right? You're just adding all of this. And she kept drinking it and kept drinking and kept drinking it. And eventually she had a health problem of, you know, diabetes and, and all kinds of, you know, things that, that happened, right? That, if we leave that unchecked, is analogous to our sales career is we will never be able to get at the top performing athlete stage of drinking a quart of Coca-Cola a day. You know, it just won't work. So if we look at our brains and we look at our mindset, let's say we grew up in an environment and I've seen this happen, Paul, it's crazy. Um, I've seen people do this. We grew up in an environment, let's say, where it was always a negotiation and we were praised for negotiation. Yes. Right. I have seen people close major sales where their commissions would be tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars. And then they undo them because after the sale is closed, they go back and try to renegotiate. And it, it makes no sense from a logical standpoint, like, okay, we just closed this million dollar deal. Commission is 10%. You're getting a hundred grand in commission but you want to go back and just thin the margins out a little bit, right? That type of thing, because you can't help yourself. So not you, Paul, but I'm saying anybody who has oh, that no, issue. No, no, I get it. It's an editorial view. Yeah. So I've seen people who have, uh, you know, like they grew up in an environment where it was always, you, you, you've got to please people. You got to please the adults. You got to please the, the woman in the family or the man in the family. And um, I've seen them undo sales that were closed and they just, because it's never good enough. So they'll, they'll go back and try to reclose it. Um, I've seen people grow up in an environment where it's, uh, you know, good was never good enough. So Doug, here's my question. Uh, um, yes, sir. And then I want to move on. My question specifically for you, here comes my legal skills. I used to be a paralegal. So ah, cool. pretend you're in a deposition. What is your specific process that you take your ah, clients through to heal them from this or teach them to have a better choice? First, first is awareness, truthful awareness. Okay, because we're on habitual behavior. We don't know. So A, here's what we do. We first get a real clear plan, truthful plan about what they want. And I can tell you, we start with some exercises to get clear on what they want. And by the time we're done adjusting these, the goal always changes. Right. So they we got to get them what they think is clear first, because then it's like, OK, I'm moving towards something that I want. Now it's about getting to the truth about what really is happening. So one of the exercises, for example, several of the things that we do are all around creating awareness of what's happening on the pattern. 
So first thing we will do, for example, is I'll, I'll get them to take a business card and carry it around with them. And the first step is anytime you find yourself telling a non-truth, a huge whopping lie, or a tiny little thing, like you wanted to go to Italian food, but your significant other suggested Japanese food, but you really wanted to go to that Italian food, but you complied to that point. Anytime you do something like that, strike the back of the card. I want you to carry the card with your pen. Strike, 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 right? Even if you're lying to yourself, you're like, well, I really want to watch reruns of old movies, but I'm, I decided I'm going to watch this new thing because of X, Y, Z. But you know you're lying to yourself, right? It's just one of those little tiny things. And so what we do is we, we get to these strikes and what's happening is now we're starting to train the brain to say, okay, wait a minute, this is really not what I want. I want this, right? So we start, we go through a bunch of small, I would say exercises that are, are powerful, but they're easy to do. Then once, once we create this awareness and they realize, okay, I'm starting to run this pattern. The next thing is we identify what the patterns are. When we do that, if you think of this, Paul, as a, a Y, like if we draw, drew a Y and there's a stimuli that happens at the beginning of the base of the Y, the letter Y, and as soon as you get stimulated, you're now starting to move up the, the, the leg of the Y. Somewhere along that leg, you get a feeling or a thought. It's a feeling or a thought. So once the stimulation happens, it happens very quickly. It's like, oh, I feel it in my neck or I think this. As soon as that happens, you, we as human beings tend to then make a decision and we move in a direction. That's, that's what causes a habit to happen. Sure. So we've got to go in now. As soon as that feeling or that thought goes in, we've got to actually interrupt that process so that we can think for a moment in order to what decision path we want to make. Correct. And so what we do is we teach people how to interrupt the pattern at that moment and then ask, you know, it's, it's more like, hey, come on in, old friend. Now I get you. Hey, you're back in, in my life. Uh, what do we really want to do with this situation? That gives them a, a moment that they can now say, OK, instead of going down the left leg of the Y, we want to go down the right leg of the Y, which gives us the positive outcome that we want. So we're working through that process over and over and over using different exercises to start to unravel that process, plus what part do they own in it, and what part do the other people that they're really angry at own in the you're process? You're a wonderful psychologist. Are you aware? You're, you're not. You're not only someone who teaches sales, really, or sales psychology. You're a wonderful psychologist, and and I think even in a sense of healer. I don't think people can get what you're teaching unless they go through something like a healing process. So I don't know if you've ever seen yourself as a healer, but that's how I see it, at least in some aspect. Well, I mean, you know, Steve Jobs did this wonderful speech called, you know, about connecting the dots, right? Back at the Stanford <laughs> University speech. If anybody hasn't watched that, I recommend it. It's like 12 minutes. But he talks about connecting the dots. That if he never had entered, you know, uh, got out of college because he was spending his parents' money, he never would have taken a calligraphy course, which led into the fonts into Apple as we know it today, right? So we look when I look back at my life and I connect the dots, one of the things I always wanted to be was a doctor, a healer of some sort, right? And I actually, I actually went to uh, pre-med and I got accepted into medical school. But when I was in the military, 
the Gulf War came up and kind of changed my whole plans about going to, to, to the medical school. So when I look back, uh, you know, part of this is I've always been interested in human, what makes them tick and, you know, always those type of things. So, but the big thing is, is I grew up in an environment where I used to, I used to do this thing, Paul, where, you know, you, you talked about the kind of the, the, the setbacks right along the journey, the, the things that happen. At one time, I would bring my income up to $200,000 and then back it down to 90000 290, $290,000. And I did this for years. And, and it seemed bizarre because I could make more than two hundred dollars at that time. But the reality is I kept dropping my income back. And then my, my first daughter was born. And I was walking along one day and uh, just on a, a walk by myself. And I went, oh, my gosh. I know why I do this. And so what happened was my parents, when I grew up, my parents were uh, blue collar workers and, you know, nothing wrong with blue collar workers. I grew up as a blue collar worker. I hang out with blue collar workers all the time. Um, but my parents would always say those no good yuppie white collar scums. <laughs> and then when my oldest brother went and got two master's degrees and entered into the corporate field and became executive vice presidents and things like that. He was nine years older than I was. And I remember my parents talking about him on how no good yuppie, you know, piece of lack of worth that he was. And so when now I'm a, a white collar worker and I'm like, psychologically, if you will, I didn't even think about it. But what I noticed is as soon as my income started going up around 170, 180, 200, my parents seemed to pull away from me. So again, I'm serving that template of love. When I had my daughter, I had to cross that crossroad. Was she going to win or are they going to win? And of course, she won, right? So I had to go in and figure out what was going on. And I didn't, I didn't even know anything about this. So it was a long process of journey of pain. And what I did, Paul, is I documented everything along the pathways that I've done over the years on doing all of this stuff. And I just put it into a process. And then I started testing it with people. And people were getting amazing results, like off the chart results. I had like one guy go from 140,000 a year in commissions to 2.1 million in commissions in the first year, right? That type of would say that's okay. She's a, she was a Jewish mother. Eh, can you can do that. <laughs> All right, we've reached. Uh, um, we've gone longer than we normally would, but you're a good guest. So if you have a few, like a couple more minutes, I, sure. I want to get into some things. Um, okay. What can you give me one or two of the tools that you teach people? I guess you actually sort of did give a tool, but give me one of the we have time for one tool. So the tool really is is a concept, but it's it's more a constructive leverage. So one percent earners build long-term relationships for repeat buying, repeat sales expansion of sales, but they're doing it all along the process of, of creating leverage. So what we're looking for is we're looking for how do I not get a one-time effort out of this? We're looking at strategy saying, how do we get multiple things to happen? And we're building that into our process so that it's just a natural extension. Yeah, I get it. My own coach says he'd used the first transaction is the beginning of a long relationship. Any first transaction is the beginning of a long relationship. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you. I'm so sorry we run out of time. You've been a fantastic guest, Doug. I know 
from the brilliance and passion that you have put on the table, people are going to want to stay in touch with you and stay in the conversation. How do they do that? Please tell us. Sure. Um, can I give some? Can I give something away to your audience, Paul? I would love. My audience loves free gifts. Uh, who doesn't? Who okay. doesn't like free? <laughs> Uh, about a, two months ago, I wrote I wrote up and finished an ebook off called the One Percent Nonstop Earner. It's really about the psychology and philosophy about what makes up a one percent earner. And uh, so they can go to www.ceosalesstrategies.com forward slash the number one the the letter P the letter E. So number one one percent earner ceosalesstrategies.com forward slash one percent one P E. Uh, and they can pick that up. And uh, there's a lot of good information in that. I, I just reread it last night. I was like, oh, I didn't know I could actually be uh, sort of intelligent, right? Um, and <laughs> I don't think you really believe that. <laughs> uh, and so, and if they want to reach out to us, you know, the, the main email address to reach out to us would be you matter, Y-O-U-M-A-T-T-E-R, because you do matter to us at CEOsalesstrategies.com, or they can get me on LinkedIn at Doug Brown 123 Doug, thank you so much. Stay with me after we go off the air because I want to chat with you for a minute. All right, ladies, gents, and any other choice you how you choose to identify yourself. Uh, is, thanks for tuning in to the Influencers Edge. We'll see and or hear you on the next episode. Thanks again, Doug. Thanks, Paul. The Influencer's Edge is brought to you by the Invisible Influence Series. If you're ready to massively increase your sales by leveraging the power of subconscious persuasion, then make sure you text the word COMPEL to 411321. That's COMPEL to 411321. And if you're outside of the United States, then use WhatsApp and text the word COMPEL to one. 909-741-1321. Make sure you put in your best email address because that's how we'll deliver the goodies. Thank you for tuning in to the Influencer's Edge, where you get the latest breakthroughs, cutting-edge insights, tools, and techniques so you can leapfrog over the pack at sales, influence, and persuasion. Remember to visit our website at www.theinfluencersedge.com to enjoy even more great episodes like this one. We look forward to seeing you again on The Influencers Edge Show.